the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day, and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. I'm Selwyn Whitehead, and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney, and I'm also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. And as I've shared with you in the past, in addition to my JD, I also hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I am a master of the laws of taxation law and a master of the laws of intellectual property law. Now, because of my training and my experiences and my lifelong interest in business and money and finance and wealth creation and wealth preservation and wealth transfer and the roles these particular aspects of the social science of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. And I also practice its first cousins, debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and their sometimes wayward offspring, taxation law. And as I've also shared with you in the past, I'm proud to say that as part of my practice, I also sometimes have the opportunity to at least attempt to seek out and vindicate the rights of seniors who find themselves the targets of some of the most pernicious forms of financial elder abuse that you can imagine that is running rampant in our society today. But before we begin, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an information form for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that is tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with at least a general outline of what you need to consider as you seek out and find qualified professional help to assist you in your legal issues as it relates to your finances and or your assets. And I do this because, as I'm known for saying, and I'm going to keep on saying it, I think that representing yourself, even when a lawyer represents herself, especially when it's a matter concerning your financial assets, it's like taking a butter knife to a gunfight. Similarly, the way the Democrats appear to be taking a soup ladle to their gunfight with the Republican Party right now. 
However, if you take your butter knife to a legal gunfight and you're lucky and your adversary is napping and you can sneak up on her and get real close, you might be able to scratch her on the arm with your butter knife or even poke her in the eye. But more than likely, you're the one who's going to be dead on arrival. That is to say, your valid claims and your righteous defenses will likely see the promised land way before you do. So once again, I must share with you the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it. It is to discuss the law related to your money, or your, even your access to money, and your overall finances, and what you need to consider to protect your and or your families or your small businesses, financial health, wealth, and money-related well-being, as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening educational form. Well, I guess a lot of you out there in Radio Land actually do listen to this show. Now, I've come to this conclusion because I've heard from quite a few of you, and I hear from you quite frequently, asking me to review some of your financial issues and related matters. However, of late, I'm also hearing quite frequently from folks who evidently have not had a good grounding in the history of the United States or the world for that matter. This lack of knowledge is being juxtaposed against the current push in some quarters to censor the factual based information that's out there for all of us to uncover and use to its best purposes. And I must say these efforts to dumb down our entire society is and are quite unfortunate because in my opinion, while no one can ever change the past, Unless we individually and collectively study the past, good, bad, or indifferent, and analyze it and come to some rationally based conclusions, and then truly learn from the mistakes of others in or our own country or in other countries, societies, and civilizations that they've done in the past, how can we individually or collectively avoid repeating those same mistakes? And as those of us who purport to be persons of faith, it is my belief that the center of the universe has tasked us with the responsibility of not only learning the truth, but also to share the truth with each other, and more importantly, to Speak the truth to those of our fellow human beings who have, for whatever reason, gained power over ourselves, our families, our communities, our country, and our world that we all now jointly inhabit. Now, one person who contacted me last week wanted to know more about a reference I had made, basically off the cuff, uh, I had made about our government first founding a hospital, and the name of that hospital is the Tuskegee Veterans Administration Medical Center, back in 1923, in a hostile environment of the Jim Crow South in Alabama, at the Tuskegee Institute, which had been um, implemented years before that by George Washington Carver as a land grant facility from the federal government. Now, the Tuskegee Veterans Administration Medical Center was put in place in 1923 to meet the medical needs of the black veterans who had returned from uh, World War I and basically 
ha had not been able to access white facilities. And so this hospital was set up to assist them. And then I talked about the irony of how a hospital set up to service the medical needs of black veterans turned around and it was used to implement this syphilis study in conjunction with the hospital and some of the medical staff there at the hospital. Now, the person informed me that he didn't know that our federal government was the driving force behind the Tuskegee syphilis study that took place in Alabama between 1932 and 1972, which happened to be the year I graduated from high school and Nixon was in the White House. As such, I remember the huge scandal that was created when one of the reports on the subject matter, the Tuskegee syphilis study, was leaked and the media picked up the story about how the United States Public Health Service and the Center for Disease Control and Prevention had initiated the experiment in Macon County, Alabama, supposedly to determine the natural course of untreated latent syphilis in black males. And also, it had implications on the health and well-being of these black men's partners and their children. Now, the test com was composed of 600 black men, 399 of them had the disease, and 201 were uninfected but were used as controls. Now, as an incentive for the participation, the men were promised free medical care, but they were deceived by the Public Health Service and the CDC who never informed them of their diagnosis and gave them disguised medication, which were actually placebos, and other, used other ineffective methods, and they did not properly diagnose the treatment nor share it with the patient. Now, as part of this study, the government published a series of reports about once every five years, one of which was uh, leaked to an investigative reporter. And then when penicillin became widely available in 1947, and it was determined by the medical community to be the best treatment for syphilis, the government withheld that information from the patients and let them continue on with the disease. And according to his paper published in December of 1978 in the 1978, December 1978 edition of the Hastings Center Report uh, on Racism and Research, and the report was entitled The Case of the Tuskegee Syphilis Study. Dr. Alan M. Brandt, Ph.D., and he, who holds a joint appointment between the Faculty of Arts and Science and the medical facility, the medical school at Harvard, who at the time was using this study as part of his doctoral dissertation. Now, in fact, on several occasions, according to uh, the doctor, the United States Public Health Service actually sought to prevent treatment when someone or some institution decided they wanted to intervene. Moreover, a committee at the federally operated Center for Disease Control decided in 1969 that the study should be continued. This is years, 20 years after the discovery of penicillin. 
okay? And um, uh, it was only in 1972 again when the media got a hold of this report. And it, again, it was such a scandal that the, um, the study was brought to an end. Now, when I come back, when we come back, we'll dig a little bit deeper into the subject du jour, and that is to say how, what, and why the Tuskegee Institute study is important and has such an impact on the psyche of members of the black community. But first, we're going to take a short break, and I'll see you on the other side. back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back as we continue our discussion of the who, what, and why of the Tuskegee Syphilis Study and why we as a society, just as Dr. Brandt suggests, need to put it in its proper context if we are to ever understand why so many in the black community neither trust our government, its institutions, and the medical community. All things we as a society must recognize and come to terms with if we're ever going to get past the remaining hesitancy to the COVID-19 vaccines that are in some quarters of our black community today. Now, some of you, like me, wonder, how could one's own government use part of its citizenry without their informed consent as human guinea pigs to determine the untreated outcome of a disease that if left untreated would result in certain insanity or death while exposing the partners of these guinea pigs and their offsprings to this terrible disease as well. Well, it was because at the time, our government and the medical community saw us as less than human. And again, citing to Dr. Alan Brandt's paper, published in the December 1978 edition of the Hastings Center Report, on racism and research. And this Hastings is not the, the law school Hastings in California. This is a nonprofit bioethics organization back on the East Coast. And again, Dr. Brandt did this paper while he was a doctoral candidate. And the paper was entitled The Case of the Tuskegee Syphilis Study. In that study, Dr. Brandt found a brief overview of the prevailing scientific thought regarding race and heredity in the early 20th century is fundamental for understanding the Tuskegee study. By the turn of the century, Darwinism had provided a new rationale for American racism. Essentially, primitive people it was argued, could not be assimilated into a complex white civilization. Scientists speculated that the struggle for survival in the Negro in America was doomed. 
particularly prone to disease, vice, and crime, black Americans could not be helped by education or philanthropy. Social Darwinism analyzed census data to predict the virtual extinction of the Negro in the 20th century, for they believe the Negro race in America was in the throes of what it called degenerative evolutionary process. A degenerative evolutionary process. The medical profession supported these findings in the late 19th and early 20th century. Physicians studying the effect of emancipation on health concluded almost universally that freedom had caused the mental, moral, and physical deterioration of the black population. They substantiated this argument by citing examples in the comparative autonomy of the black and white races. As Dr. W.T. English wrote, a careful inspection reveals the body of the Negro, a mass of minor defects and imperfections from the crown of the head to the soles of the feet. Cranial structures, wide nasal apertures, receding chins, projecting jaws, all typed the Negro as the lowest possible specimen in the Darwinian hierarchy. He goes on to say that interest in racial differences centered on the sexual nature of blacks. The Negro, doctors explained, possessed an excessive sexual desire which threatened the very foundation of white society. As one physician noted in the Journal of American Medical Association, the Negro springs from the Southern race. I don't know what a Southern race is. Maybe they mean the Southern United States. Maybe they mean the Southern Hemisphere. But the Negro springs from a Southern race, and as such, his sexual appetite is strong. All of his environmental stimulus that goes to his appetites, and as a general rule, his emotional type of religion certainly does not decrease it. So doctors reported a complete lack of morality on the part of blacks. And they went on to say, virtue in the Negro race is like angels' visits, few and far between. And he goes on to say, this particular doctor, that in his 16 years of practice, he's never examined a virgin Negro over the age of 14. So, a particular ominous feature, he goes on to say that a particular ominous feature has to do with um, genitalia. And I'll just leave it at that. One Southern medical journal proposed castration instead of lynching as a retribution for blacks. Uh, uh, so let me put a pin in it here. Because these physicians, and I put physicians, members of the medical community, made these allegations about black males, it caused them to have um, overzealous appetites to engage in sexual activities with white women. And so 
one Southern medical journal. Again, these are medical journals. This isn't, you know, um, newspaper yellow journalism. These are medical journals. One Southern medical journal proposed castration instead of lynching as retribution for black sexual crimes. An impressive trial by a ghost-like Ku Klux Klan and a ghost physician or surgeon to perform this castration or uh, as opposed to lynching operation would make the event for the patient something that he would never forget. Now, according to these physicians, lust and immorality, unstable families, and reversion to barbaric tendencies made blacks especially prone to venereal disease. One doctor explained that over 50% of all Negroes over the age of 25 were syphilitic. Virtually free of the disease as slaves, they were now overwhelmed by it, according to informed medical opinion at the time. Now, in concluding his paper, Dr. Brandt stated, in retrospect, the Tuskegee study revealed more about the pathology of racism than it did about the physiology and the psychology or the pathology of syphilis, more about the nature of scientific inquiry than the nature of the disease's progress. The injustices committed by the experiment went well beyond the facts outlined in the press and in the HEW final report. The degree of deception and damage have been seriously underestimated. As this history of the study suggests, the notion that science is value-free, is a value-free discipline, must be rejected. The need for greater Vigilance in assessing the specific way in which social values and attitudes affecting professional behavior is clearly indicated. So the 40-year Tuskegee study was a major violation of ethical standards and has been cited as arguably the most infamous biomedical research study in U.S. history. Its revelation led to the 1979 Belmont Report and to the establishment of the Office of Human Research Protection and federal laws and regulation requiring institutional review boards for the protection of human subjects in studies involving them. The report, or this new oversight board, manages this responsibility within the United States Department of Health and Human Services today. Its revelations has also been an important cause of distrust in the medical science and the U.S. government amongst African Americans. So, on May 16, 1997, former President Bill Clinton formally apologized on behalf of the United States to the victims of the city, calling it shameful and racist. What was done cannot be undone, but... We can end the silence, the president said. We can stop turning our heads away. We can look at you in the eye and finally say, on behalf of the American people, the United States government, what it did 
was shameful and I am sorry. So that is what the barrier is right now in some in the black community. It's not hysteria. It's not voodoo. It's not witchcraft. It's not insanity. It's knowing this passed from generation to generation of black folks. And if the CDC, who was part of this syphilis study, wants to figure out a way to have more black and brown people submit to taking this vaccine, which I recommend they do because I have done it, you first begin by recognizing the facts and the truth. So with that, I'm going to leave it there for now. But as always, in closing, I like to say here at Selma's Law, we want to stay on the right side of the law, especially when that law will put forth a good grounding in our mutual history such that we don't repeat the negative past but look forward to a bright future for us all. So until we meet again, I urge you, if you haven't done so, please get vaccinated, notwithstanding what happened in the past. And until you do, please mask up, keep your social distance, and wash your hands. Till next time, take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to SelwynWhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. 